0: Welcome to Trends and Tensions, presented by BHDP, where we discuss trends in architectural and interior design, and the competing priorities or tensions that arise from integrating new ideas into existing organizations, enterprises, and institutions. On today's episode, we offer part one of a discussion regarding wellness in the workplace with Patrick Donnelly of BHDP, and joining us by phone, Rex Miller of MindShift, author of The Healthy Workplace Nudge. If you enjoy what you hear, we encourage you to rate, subscribe, and give us a review. We also invite your suggestions of other architectural and interior design-related topics. I'm your host, Brian Trainer, a workplace strategist for BHDP, let's get started. Patrick, would you mind introducing yourself?
1: Uh, Absolutely. Thanks, Brian. Um, I am a principal here at BHDP, um, lead the strategy business here, which extends into all four of our markets. And um, my passion is to help folks have a better experience at work. Uh, And in that work, um, I had the opportunity to um, get to know Rex Miller, um, who has done some phenomenal work through his efforts in MindShift uh, to investigate um, all the trends and tensions we talk about uh, through the pathways of uh, the book uh, Change Your Space, Change Your Culture, and now Healthy Workplace Nudge. So we're glad you've joined us, Rex.
0: Yeah, Rex, and and who is Rex Miller? Would would you mind introducing yourself?
2: I'd be happy to. Uh, Rex Miller is the principal of an organization called Mindshift, and this organization really began trying to solve a problem, and the problem was the frustration that we consistently have in delivering capital projects on time, within budget, and without hating everybody at the end of the project. <laughs> yeah. So I was one of those players <clears throat> caught in the supply chain and frustrated, and through just a series of conversations with colleagues found that my frustration was common to many. And we, uh, made, I made a proposal to Hayworth, uh, a large furniture manufacturer in Holland, Michigan, that we could do a better job, uh, not only with their products, but in in serving clients. If we could get a conversation going, bringing the key stake- stakeholders to the table, and it, it's uh, it's something I learned as growing up. You know, I was I was a short little kid uh, with a high squeaky voice, and if I wanted to play football. Uh, I had to own the football, so (laughs) (laughs) So (laughs) I owned the football, and and so Hayworth being kind of low on the lower end of the food chain created a venue that brought these leaders together who wanted to do the research but would not normally come together. Um, So we broke the silos. That was kind of an innovation instead of having Cornette do research on why Capital Projects Suck, so to speak, and what, you know, having IFMA do it and AIA. Everybody was doing the research. We were the first group to actually just come together as leaders to have that deep conversation. Out of that, we came to some conclusions that we would have never have come to otherwise because we, we mapped it out. We, I had a visual scribe mapping out our conversation, and we began to connect dots on how each separate stakeholder in the process was contributing to the frustration of the others unintentionally. We called it accidental adversaries. <laughs> and then out of that, uh, we came to the conclusion that the system of projects is fundamentally designed to create distrust from the minute a bid document goes out. And so there's a game that everybody learns to play over time, and we all know what the games are. And the question came out, well, if if that's what the system is designed to do and it does it very well and consistently, you know, 70% of projects come in late and over budget, what would a trust-based system look like? And that was a new question. Um, We had never really explored that. And uh, we had to find people who were breaking the rules and getting better results so over an 18-month period, we visited uh, half a dozen of these uh, owners and projects that were doing things radically differently, and each one had a piece to the puzzle. And then at the end, we wrote a book that connected all the dots, and it became you know, a catalyst in, in the industry for early collaborative trust-based projects. So one form of those is integrated project delivery. And and then that launched me into consulting, and that was back in 2008. Wow. Um, from that, then organizations want to know what, how do we do what you wrote about in the book. So we began building a toolkit of practice and application. So we consult in how to actually do these things. And then out of that, that led to a lot of understanding around teams and people, because that seemed to be the central issue in all of these different topics we've tackled is, you know, humans in complex systems, you know, the challenge humans face in complex systems. So we began building uh, expertise and skill in that. So to this day, we do those three things. We do research, Practical applications and then provide adult supervision for humans that can't get along Mm -hmm. and and that's kind of what we do
1: so that's Brian where um, Mindshift and BHDP connect is this focus on people and how Do we do what we do? To enable organizations to be more successful individual people um, to do better work, but also have a better experience doing that work um, and at the same time how to create systems um, that would then perpetuate that. So we don't have these isolated incidences, but you can help um, clients and organizations go on a journey. And that's really what um, Healthy Workplace Nudge is about. Is, is, uh, and my work, Rex, with you and, and helping with the Mini Summits has been a journey for me um, in learning about um, health, wellness, and especially well-being and how organizations can uh, take charge of the system that they've created called work uh, to enable uh, um, healthier relationships between people and um, a workplace that uh, sustains that.
0: That's great, so Rex, I guess then building on that, so you came from a trust building system, you know, in integrated project delivery, and I guess this is your 10th anniversary if it started in 2008, so happy
1: anniversary. Happy anniversary. Yeah, thank
0: you, <laughs> but, Appreciate um, that. So in 10 years, you've gone from uh, project delivery, um, I've read the book on integrating workplace culture, so how do you end up at wellness? What motivated you to uh, go down this
2: path? The the book that you're referring to, Change Your Space, Change Your Culture, was a conversation that was really a challenge. It, after we had created the book, uh, The Commercial Real Estate Revolution, Google was looking at Applying this to their uh, their projects in Silicon Valley, and out of that, uh, David Radcliffe just he he just threw a challenge on the table and and said the industry, you know, architects and and contractors and furniture people are really good at providing uh, design and delivering projects, but not very good at helping companies solve. The, the business problems and the human problems that they have. Um, and so from that, uh, David David basically said that we we see your world as a commodity. We're the brains, you're the arms and legs, and we'll just hire you to do it. And that was frustrating to hear. That was at a cornet event uh, in San Diego that Patrick was at. And uh, I was agitated by that conversation and got with Patrick, and we agitated each other (laughs) said you know it's a that's a really good problem and it's 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 true we don't believe it should be true that we have more to bring to the table our expertise and understanding on how people work in space uh gets cut out of the conversation how can we help organizations um take advantage of that and so that led to that research project and then after that project uh one of the case studies in there, one of the stories, uh, a big story was the CBRE headquarters project in LA. And it was a classic textbook case on great change management, using design and a new workplace to transform the culture, the business model. I mean, it has everything in it. Sure. Yeah. And and so because of that, um, when the book came out they ordered 500 copies within the first couple months and i called up and asked what was what was up i mean why why so many copies that's when i heard the story of how their journey into wellness transformed them and was really the framework they used in designing the new space and it was all very interesting but when lou horn who is the uh, the managing director for, for the Southern California uh, office of CBRE, when he said they've had 14,000 visitors in the last 18 months, um, that's, that caught my attention. I said, I'm, I've got to come out and see that. And when I went out and saw what was going on and saw uh, the impact it had on everybody in, in that workplace, uh, I brought together some of the people who have been with us on previous mind shifts, and just ask the question, is there something here we should be exploring? And the conclusion was, definitely. So that's that's how we kicked this off.
0: That's interesting. I was looking, I was reading the new book here, The uh, the Healthy Workplace Nudge, and you referenced that story early on, and I think that you, the impression that I got is that when you went back, um, you went with a critical eye looking you know, is this just the Von Trapp children putting on a show for visitors, or is this a real thing? Or was I looking too much into that, or was that your approach?
2: Well, I think the approach was um, it, it just caught us off guard. I mean, there's a there's a lot of conversation about wellness. You go to Cornet or Ifma or any of those conferences, and everyone's talking about yoga rooms and. Meditation and mindfulness, and lots, of, lots of what I call tips and tricks. But this experiencing what they were doing at CBRE was more, was deeper. It was cultural. Um, it was a business model, and the the whole process of design. There, you know, we called it from push to pull. You know, they instead of having experts coming in telling them what to do, the experts were guides, and the new international well-building standard was a framework it basically was framing the question how do we live and work healthier together that was just novel you know I, I just had not considered that before and so that was the question is this just a whole new approach a mindset to workplace or as you said is this just a, a one-off project lightning in a bottle and uh, and so we brought 10 national experts in to have that conversation, look at it, and then come away and say, okay, there's something fundamental here happening.
1: So Rex, being there for the beginning of this journey, um, that kind of framed up the topic. I think, Brian, what was really interesting uh, to me as a participant in in the research and engaging so many thought leaders is the understanding that really we've moved beyond wellness. So wellness being many organizations, clients of BHDP have wonderful programs for wellness and have provided their employees with places where they can see to their physical wellness and um, work on that to be the best they can every day. But it's really graduated, the topics graduated and some of the more progressive strategies have graduated to looking at also the emotional well-being of employees of the workforce of how they're interrelating with one another, how the vision and the mission of an organization connects with the vision and mission of the employees, and how that well-being also leads to what we're building. So well-building, how would we, through the building of a workplace strategy and through the design of that place, enable um, some of these strategies to become real?
0: Thank you for that. I have a question for Rex, I just want to start with this. Uh, one of the first things I noticed, chapter one is called A Slow Moving Storm, The Existential Threat to Business and the Economy. My question to you is why, in a book about wellness, are you trying to activate my limbic system right from the start? <laughs> <laughs> um,
2: well, because it, it literally floored me. Um, after we visited CBRE, Our first impression was that um, wellness, you know, prevention is is better than a cure, and so wellness is the solution. So there are two things we had to go and research. First, what is the problem that wellness is trying to solve? Uh, And secondly, how effective is that solution? That led me to Dr. Roizen at the Cleveland Clinic, and he set up the problem in such a way that it it literally, it disturbed me. Um,
1: it,
2: to, you know, and, and I've been on this planet for a while, but <laughs> nothing has disturbed me more than my first conversation with Dr. Roizen wow. in terms of look, looking at the prospects of the future. And we've been through a lot of bad stuff in, in our country in the past, you know, president's doing badly in wars. But this is something that, um, you know, when you look at the problem, and Dr. Rosen showed me the research in the charts and uses 1984 as the tipping point when we began consuming 400 more calories a day per person, um, which equates to about a pound and a half a year of added weight, which has equated to 70% of our population being either overweight or obese, which now means that 50% of our population has some form of chronic disease. All that sounds pretty bad. But what puts it over the edge is that it's been, it's been growing at a compounded rate of 7 to 10% per year for the last generation, for 40 years. Wow. Right. So when you look at When you look at the numbers and you look at the fact that it hasn't slowed, we haven't slowed the pace at all in terms of chronic disease. So if it grows at a 7% rate and if 50% of the population has that and if 80% of our health cost is due to chronic disease, $3.4 trillion, 18% of our GDP is eaten up by health costs, it only takes 10 years for that to double. And Dr. Roizen, it wasn't me, but Dr. Royzen says within the next five to 10 years, it's game over. Um, our health system can't support this. Companies can't afford it. Uh, there'll be severe rationing. Companies will be sending work off overseas. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's a bad mess. That we have to get a handle on. So yes, we started out with, you know, and every good epic story starts out with a doomsday scenario. And this, <laughs> yes. is the ast- this is the asteroid literally coming to destroy the planet. Now, whether Don Johnson shows up or not, or, or,
0: <laughs> or Bruce um, Willis, or, what, yeah. <laughs> or Bruce
2: Willis, or somebody to save the day, and and we we can make a turn. I mean, it, it doesn't take a lot uh, for people's health to shift quickly, and and then that led into the effectiveness of wellness programs, and then we had to go look at, you know, if the solution is companies paying people or incenting people to change their behavior, how effective is that? And then once we found out that it's virtually, it's a waste of money, 95% of wellness programs are a waste of money. Then the next question was, so why are they not working? Right, and and then that led to, so what could work or what is working, and how do we scale that? So that was the progression.
0: So, building on that, because I, I have a quote from the book, it says, "Why, if we spend ninety percent of our time in built environments, do we not also spend ninety percent of our focus on funds and buildings?" Knowing the dire nature that you've laid out, saying five to ten years, the this current state of wellness in America would overburden the existing health system, can the built environment help with that?
2: Well, yeah, so there, um, there are four areas that we can make big, big impacts. The first is just a healthier building, and it, and it makes sense to do that. Uh, there should be no financial argument for building a healthy building. Uh, DPR finished their facility in Reston, Virginia. Uh, it was a net zero uh, well platinum building and it costs less than 1% of the original budget, increase over the original budget to accomplish that. So the good news is a lot of the things we've learned in building green buildings, you know, lead Platinum, 90% of that is applicable to the to creating human sustainability, for example. So we can do that, it's, it's low-hanging fruit, that should be a baseline for us to do that. Um, in fact, one of the comparisons is that it costs less than providing coffee for your employees for a year to upgrade your building. Now, there's a lot more variables to that, it's not as easy as just saying we're gonna spend this because if you're in an old building with old mechanical systems, That all has to be taken into consideration. But in general, as a principle, this should be something that we should be aiming to do and then doing the best we can to get there uh, because it's low-hanging fruit. Sure. The second big challenge that wellness programs try to solve that, that they've been unsuccessful is shifting to healthier behaviors. And this is a design, this now becomes a design question. This is where behavioral economics and nudges, the idea of nudges come in. So that's the second environmental solution that costs virtually nothing to do because it's all about choice architecture, you know, helping people make, make one choice more preferable than another choice in the environment. And our big breakthrough is moving from the application of behavioral economics or choice architecture in policy to making it applicable to environments and and so that's that's a big deal the third is is reducing the friction points of design in the workplace uh, Hayworth calls this legible design making space intuitive easy to understand easy to navigate and having the choices that you need for privacy for agency you know, Having, have, having some form of choice in the space of how and where you work. That's a third area because the, the big driver of chronic disease is stress. Yeah. Um, we relate it to the, the behaviors of smoking, uh, abuse of drugs and alcohol, eating too much of the wrong food, and sitting too much. Um, but that's not root cause. Root cause for all of those is stress and so reducing stress in the workplace through legible design, improving behavior changes through choice architecture, and then the fourth piece, we saw at GoDaddy, which is employee touch points. Four Seasons is famous for doing client journeys, Um, IDO does patient journey, but this is looking at all the touch points that an employee has from the time they begin their commute to the parking lot, to the lobby, to their workplace, And each of those touch points are either friction points, neutral points, or positive points. And GoDaddy has uh, developed their facility services people to try to reduce as many friction points as possible and turn as many neutral points into positive points as possible through what they call experience managers. Those are four solutions that are really within our world of design and architecture and, and construction that we can have a huge positive impact on 100% of your employees every single day, uh, as opposed to trying to pay, prod, pry people to participate in uh, wellness
0: programs. Yeah, because I, I remember reading and hear you saying that incentivizing it um, just doesn't work. People aren't motivated by incentives. Um, They're not, no, or, and if they are, it's temporary. Um, Correct. Yeah, so
2: it can get you started, but it won't keep you. It won't keep it going.
0: Yeah, because behavior is a bigger ship to steer. Um, you know, to change someone's behavior takes a longer, protracted process. Right. You can kick it off and get somebody excited. That's why so many people make New Year's resolutions, but then they taper off pretty sharply. Right. Um,
2: well, and it's based on the flawed assumption that we're rational human beings. <laughs> um, that was the first and, mistake. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and 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 but that's what traditional economics is based on is you know rational humans making risk reward decisions. And if we're not rational, then all these programs that wellness programs have, or whatever it is, or how we raise our kids, they just don't work. So now. Now we move into the field of behavioral economics, which begins with the premise that people are irrational, but the magic is that we're predictably irrational, Uh. and that's the important part. And you can look at and research all these different cognitive biases. I mean, there's all kinds of cognitive biases, and you can apply many of them to the workplace. And... um, you know, and we and we see these cognitive biases playing out every day in social media, in you know going to uh, McDonald's and being supersized. You've just been nudged, right? Because that perception of you're getting more for less. You know that cognitive bias without calculating any of the other costs involved. So that's how we're designed. So we should take advantage of that.
1: So Brian, if I could, um, to marry Rex's big four points on how we connect this back to the built industry and what we build um, for people to use um, and as a result become healthier and more effective in what they do at work. There were four points that I think are closely related to making this real and that is four points on how you actually engage leadership in a conversation that enable those first four points to happen. So in, in working with the group on healthy workplace nudge, one of the big nudges was how do we engage in a conversation with leadership that can nudge the whole organization forward. And those four points were really about the right place, leadership, worldviews, influencing others and coalition building. And these are built into leading well, first stages of a workbook that you can utilize within your organization um, to have conversation with leadership uh, to begin to make progress on this journey, because it's not a destination, it really is a journey. Um, Right Place was really about understanding where the organization is on the ladder of transformation from tactical to strategic to transformational. In terms of understanding leadership, leadership worldviews was really about taking a close look at the way leaders see the world and how that influences the way they lead, um, from being pragmatic to being servant leaders to um, really being more about process-driven and the golden rule. Influencing others was really about taking stock of your stakeholders. Uh, Where are people within your organization who are influencers that can enable change to happen? Are they key influencers? Are they adopters of these new behaviors? And how are they communicating that to others? And then number four is really about a process of coalition building. And we learned this when we we studied um, the processes within many organizations, the most compelling of which was... um, with the city of Columbus, Indiana, and how they had a coalition building process that went from, again, I don't know what it is about four steps, but four steps in coalition building from defining the who, to defining and getting clear on the why we're gonna change, uh, to the what, and then to the how, and how do you build a coalition for um, making these kinds of interventions like, um, health and wellness in the workplace stick. Thank you for joining trends and tensions presented by BHDP
0: for part one of our wellness in the workplace discussion. If you enjoyed what you heard, please rate, subscribe, and give us a review. We hope you will join us again as we continue to have constructive conversations on another episode of trends and tensions.